You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 611 for March 1st, 2023. On this episode, pianist, composer, educator, and NEA Jazz Master, Kenny Barron. Did you know that members of the show also get a bonus episode along with each main episode? It's true. The Patreon bonus show is called This I Dig of You, and on it each time, the guest from the main show talks about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. Kenny talks about cooking. You can hear the bonus episode by becoming a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every show. You'll get thanked by name on an episode. You'll get behind-the-scenes info and other bonus material. All of that for just $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Kenny Barron's latest album is a collection of solo piano performances called The Source. Here's a little taste. Kenny Barron, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, the honor is uh, completely mine. We are here to talk about a new record uh, which just came out in January called The Source. It's on Artwork Records. And I guess I'll I'll just start with just playing off the title a little bit. Is there a source for your music, something you can point to that, that has fueled this desire in you to make music for all these years? Uh, there's probably a bunch of different sources, you know, and influences and things like that, you know, but, uh, 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 I think it's just, uh, uh, um, the source is the history of the music, you know, listening to, uh, uh, listening to Dizzy, listening to Bird, listening to, uh, Art Tatum, listening to Hank Jones, listening to Tommy Flanagan, different styles, different, different eras, you know, um. I was fortunate enough, for instance, to hear uh, uh, live or off the Hines, you know, yeah, that made an influence that that had an influence on me, you know. So that's that's a source, that's a source, you know, of uh, of uh, whatever musical integrity I may have. 
So there are lots of different places yeah, you can look for sources. I don't know if that makes any sense. But. It does, and I uh, I do want to mostly stay in the present, but um, given how you answered that question, there, I think for a lot of people, we hear music are and are inspired by it, but there is another large step in thinking that you could actually do that thing, that not only is this something that you know, fills my soul and I love to listen to, but actually I could become a practitioner of. And I know uh, you had some, you know, examples in your own life of people who were doing that kind of thing. But is did that help you conceive of this as a thing that could be done, not just a thing to listen to? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, listening to these people and listening to music, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I would like to do that. I think I can, you know. Uh, so I said, as I said about trying to do it, being influenced by all of these people and 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 styles and and things like that. So, yeah, so it did it did influence me in in that way to 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 try and do it myself. So, so I got a lot of joy out of listening to it, and but also trying to do it. Your uh, your last solo piano record came out in 1981. What made you return to that format now? Guy used to be my my record producer, my producer for many years, uh, Jean Philippe Lard. Uh When I was with Verve, uh, Verve France, and he, uh, I happened to be in Paris, uh, and he said, you know, I would like to record you solo, and I hadn't done, you know, I, said I hadn't played solo piano. Uh, I mean, not recording anyway. So I said, yeah, why not? You know, so I think it was about time. To to do to do it again, it's it's something that's always been a little scary for me, playing solo piano. So uh, the only way to get over it is to do it. So you know, I decided to go ahead and do it. So the first thing was uh, uh, to just come up with a repertoire, songs that I like, nothing too complicated, but just songs that I like and songs that I felt would reach people. You know, because that's that's my thing. I, I, I like to reach people uh, on an emotional level give them something to feel rather than something to think about, you know. So um, I picked some, some uh, you know, originals and, and uh, some of my favorite uh, Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn pieces. And I think they kind of, I think, I could be wrong, I think they kind of cover the spectrum of different styles from from leaning left to leaning right, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, I like thinking about it that way. This album almost feels like it 
its subtitle could be the Kenny Barron story. I mean, it, it feels like these the tunes on this record, they really encapsulate, well, not only encapsulate, but it, it come from uh, various points in your past, as well as showing where you are at in the present. But, you know, everything from... Uh, the, of course, there being a monk tune on here, but also I'm confessing is on here, which I first really heard uh, on the solo monk album, and it just and then there's stuff that really covers various points in your career. I don't know if it if that's just coincidence or if it you intended a, a kind of retrospective idea, but it certainly feels like one in some sense. Uh, no, that's just that's pure coincidence, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it does touch on di- different points in my life. Yeah, so that's very true. You mentioned uh, Ellington and Strayhorn tunes, and one of my all-time favorites, Isfahan, is on here, and I think that's a tune that you particularly love, too. Can you just say something about, about that piece and hearing it? Yeah, I think the first time I heard it was hearing Johnny Hodges. You know, but no, that wasn't the first time. I'm sorry. The first time I heard it was hearing Tommy Flanagan play it. Okay. And then the first time I heard Johnny Hodges play it, all I could do was say, oh, I see, you know. <laughs> When I heard him play with that sound, that that beautiful alto sound he had, that was it. That's just a song that became a, a part of my repertoire. You mentioned a few minutes ago uh, solo piano possibly being scary. Can you say just say more about that? Say what it's like to play solo piano recording? Well, I, I'll go back to the very first time I, I ever played solo piano. It was uh, in Canada, in a small small little town in uh, in Canada on an upright piano. Wow. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that in itself was scary. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I could get through ballads, but I'm trying to figure out now, how am I going to play this? I want to play something fast or with some tempo or maybe Latin. How am I going to do that? And it took a minute. I mean, hopefully nobody else realized that. I mean, that's because that's the idea. You know, you don't want anybody else to realize that, but you feel like, you know, your hands are clammy and sweaty. How am I going to get through this? You know, uh, but I did, you know, and I've come to realize that once you sit down at the piano, it starts to get easier. It starts to get easier. But there's always that point uh, just before the gig starts, you know, I kind of get knots in my stomach because you're aware that, that uh, if you make a mistake, uh, there's nobody to cover for you. There's <laughs> yeah. no bass player. There's, there's no drummer. You know, so it's all on you. There's never a moment when you can look over at one of the other people and say, "Okay, take a couple choruses, and I'll." Yeah, no, you, you can't do it's that. It's just you. <laughs> you can't do that. It's all on you. So, uh, but like I said, <clears throat> once you sit down, it gets easier and easier as as the night goes on, and as time goes on, actually, it gets, it gets a little bit easier. You know.
And you mentioned the difference between ballads and and other kinds of tunes. And this album, The Source, uh, opens up with uh, the tune What If. And really one of the highlights, I think, of the performance is the bass line that is running throughout it. Uh, can you say something about that? Uh, actually, I stole that bass line. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best artists steal, as they say. So. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know if you, there was a pianist in Philly when I was growing up named Hassan Ibn Ali. I think he did maybe one recording with Max Roach. Okay. Called called the uh, the Amazing Hassan or something like that. But he was an unusual uh, character, an unusual person, and an unusual pianist. You know, and people, uh, upon hearing him, first, first thought that he was influenced by Monk. But when you talk to him, you know, his biggest influence was Elmo Hope. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you know. So he, on this particular recording with Max Roach, there was a song. I can't remember the title of it. But that was the bass line. It was, of course, a totally different melody. Uh, But that was the bass line. And that bass line just was so enchanting. So I wrote a different melody over the bass line, you know. And uh, eventually discarded the bass line. You know, I think he played it all the way through. But, uh, yeah, it's that, that's where the bass line came from. You know, and uh, he was he was uh, quite a star. You never heard him, huh? No, uh, he I have really... only heard that one Max Roach recording, but I don't really, didn't really know anything about him at all. Uh, there definitely are people who... Yeah, I, yeah. Well, that's the, I think that's the only recording he did, the commercial recording he did. But anyway, he was... He, uh, I mean, I met him through my brother, Bill. So I've known him since I was like six or seven years old. He used to come by the house when you know, when, when I was a kid. And he would uh, come in and say hello to my mother and head straight for the piano. <laughs> you know, you know he was, like, he was a, like I said, he was an unusual guy. You know, unusual, very unusual. He was a very colorful character, I'll put it that way. You know, but a, a hell of a musician and then very unique uh, composer. So that's where I, that's where that came from. I mean, if Elmo Hope is your main influence, being a colorful character seems like it's going to go right hand in hand with. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for folks who might not know, you just mentioned your brother uh, Bill, who uh, was a musician. Will you just say a few words about Bill for folks who who might not know about him? Yeah, Bill uh, Bill Barron, who's a wonderful tenor saxophonist. He was. Uh, uh, we worked together quite quite a bit, and. Uh, uh, one of the things people may not know is the, the big age difference. He was 17 years older than me. So um, uh, by the time I started playing, he had already been on the scene. He moved to New York. Proceed, you know, he preceded me in New York and uh, was working with people like Cecil Taylor. And uh, he, he did a, a very short stint with Mingus for a minute, you know. But he was a great, he's a great, he was a great composer and very unusual. Same thing, very unique Stylist, you know. Now his pay, his uh, his biggest influence was Dexter Gordon. He loved Dexter Gordon, but the music he wrote was totally different. When uh, throughout his career, I think he he did quite a few recordings, but one of the things he never did was he never played standards. He always played on his own recordings. He always played his own music, and I think that might have, in terms of popularity. Or, or, or acknowledgement from other people, from uh, uh, jazz fans, that might have held him back a little bit because they never heard him play anything other than his own music. 
But at a certain point, I actually had a record label, you know, very, very briefly. And uh, I recorded Ben Riley, and I recorded a, a pianist named Sumi Tonoka, and I recorded Bill. And on this recording I did with Bill, that I, I produced with Bill, I made sure that we did some standards. We did some of his original music as well. But we did some standards, and he, he did those standards really well. And that's where you could hear Dexter's influence. You could really hear it on those. Uh... But he was very influential on, on me. I mean, he got me my first gig, my very first gig, uh, when I was like 14, uh, playing, the, playing the band that he was with. And it was, it was, uh, we played for dances. It wasn't a jazz gig in a club. But we played, we played rhythm and blues, but in the sense that it was music based on the blues and music based on I got rhythm changes. That's, that's what rhythm and blues was originally, you know. Uh, so it was, for me, it was a great experience because I was, like I said, I was 14, 15 years old. And I was here working with all these old guys who were, who were 30. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. These ancient musicians yeah. in their 30s. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned repertoire. I learned uh, uh, how to, on the very first gig, there was a singer. I remember her name, Fanny, Fanny Lingham. And when she came by the house, I remember we rehearsed uh, Mean to Me. And i never forget that, you know. And uh, that was the first time I ever accompanied a vocalist, you know, playing that song. You know, so for me, it was a great learning experience. And you had to play for, uh, uh, it was more like a show band. You had to play for a singer. You had to play for the audience uh, to dance. You had to play for uh, dancers. We had the, uh, um, it was called uh, shake dancers or exotic dancers. So you had to play for that. You know, you had to play for a comedian. There was, there was a real show, you know. Yeah. This is just a quick break to remind you to become a member of the Jazz Session. You can do that at thejazzsession.com slash join. Not only will you get early access to every episode and a bonus show on which the guest talks about something non-musical that they're enjoying, plus you'll get thanked by name, by me on an episode, and more, but you'll also help me keep making the Jazz Session and... Crucially, you'll help keep the archives online. There are hundreds of episodes of this show stretching back 16 years, and they take a lot of bandwidth because they get downloaded a lot. So if you could become a member, it's a huge help in funding that expense for the big archive. Thanks so much. Each time, I'd like to thank three members of my Patreon community this month, a tip of the cap to Matt Marowitz, Arthur Kawa, and Peter DeBacker. You are a fabulous trio. Now back to the show.
Uh, Bill was kind of who I was thinking of when I, I, I asked this question poorly at the beginning. But uh, because you had the example of Bill, to me, that makes it easier when you yourself are you know, younger in conceiving that musician is a job that exists. So I think for a lot of people, musician is a, like a fanciful job that exists. You know, every musician they know is is famous, you know, somebody famous. And you think, well, how could I ever attain that? But you, you kind of had in your own family, like a working musician who was, who was. Playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and then, then the other side of the coin, I never looked at music as a way to get famous. Sure. You know, I mean, uh, uh, and it's one of the things I tell my, my, my students. You know, if you're, if you're playing music to get rich and famous, it's better to be a rapper. Yeah, I was going to say, and that, yeah, I recommend and that's, that's And that's iffy. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. iffy. You know, but you got to play this music because you love it. You know, so, and that's the main thing, because you love it. I'll use that to segue uh, into asking you about Thelonious Monk. There's a, a Well You Needn't is on the new record, The Source, and there's been monk music on a ton of your recordings over the years and in your performances. And are you still finding new things in monk, or is it more like settling into a comfortable space or something else entirely? No, I still find find interesting things. I mean, one of the pieces I just I actually just learned, and it's on that uh, record uh, called Teo. Yeah. And uh, I, I did not know that song. Benny Green actually showed it to me. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, he showed it to me. And uh, I loved it so much that I, I, I play it with my trio. So I wonder how it would work solo. So it, it, I tried it. You know, it was, I was a little uh, tentative in the beginning. With uh, I think I only did maybe two takes of it, two, two takes or three takes at the most, three short takes, you know before we actually did a take, you know, so that's, uh, um, there's always something new to find in Monk's music. You've, uh, I mean, you've played, it would take the rest of this show to list the people with whom you've played, but just to name a few names, everyone from Philly Joe Jones and James Moody and Dizzy Gillespie and Stan Getz and the, you're all the many of your own groups and the band sphere. And are there, are there moments that you can point to and say, okay, that was a, that was a moment when things shifted for me, when when I stepped into a new dimension or a new realm of my musical career. Are there particular things that stand out for you? Um, yeah, there are, actually. I Probably, uh, um, you know, at, after Dizzy, because we were used to playing a certain way, and then after Dizzy, uh, um, I started working with other people like uh, Freddie Hubbard. That was one of the people I worked with. And that kind of opened my ears to some other some other things, and also working with Youssef Latif uh, also opened my ears to other other things, other ways of playing, and, and uh, other ways of improvising. Because he, he used uh, he was using different kinds of instruments, uh, um, in some of his compositions he used an Indian instrument called the shanai, which had a very unique sound, you know. Uh, but he was very adventurous, very adventurous. So that caused me to also attempt to be adventurous. Not attempted, but try to, uh, to, 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 it influenced me in that direction. Opened you up to new possibilities, in other words. Yes, exactly, exactly. 
And, you know, after making a list like that list that I just made of people you've played with, uh, of course, it strikes me that you are now one of those guys who is on a list like that. For example, earlier in this year, well, not in this year, but at the end of 2022, one of the people who was on the show was Claudia Acuna. And when she was making a list of the people she was thrilled to do duets with on her new album, the first name she mentioned was you. And so I kind of wonder, like, over the course of the decades, you... You have shifted from being a guy who played with guys to now being one of the guys other people play with, and they want to tell other people about it. And I just wonder what that feels like. I mean, I I hope it feels good, but I'm curious. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. And then I remember doing that record with Claudia. You know, I actually just got a copy of it uh, not too long ago. And it's a really nice record. You know, really nice record. I mean, I'm only on one song. And she did one song with like Christian McBride, I think, and it was, yeah. it's a really nice record, yeah, really nice record. And we we're actually talking about doing um, another one with, with uh, using doing more songs. So oh, hopefully it will work out, yeah. I was mentioning to uh, some friends that I was going to be talking to you, and one of them said, uh, my friend Patrick McCurry, who who promotes uh, shows, jazz and classical shows in, in Alabama, and he said that he would be curious to know how you think the performance landscape has changed over your career, and if you have any thoughts about where it's headed. Uh, I think it looks good. Yeah, I'm the old head now. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think it looks good. I think the future, the future of the music is 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 is, is great. You know, uh, in, in terms of the audience, the audience is still there. The audience is appreciative, all over the world. I'm mean, literally all over the world. You know, that I'm, uh, that has not changed. That's that's always that's a constant. The music is popular everywhere. You know. Uh, things have gotten better in some some certain instances. For instance, uh, um, conditions are sometimes a whole lot better than they used to be when I was when I first started touring. You know, uh, in the in the '60s, sometimes the piano, substandard pianos you'd have to run, you'd run into uh, that does, that never happens now. You know, yeah, given that you said always, you did your first solo gig on an upright piano, I think there's a yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I, I I recall playing at a club in Cleveland with with Dizzy, and uh, I think there were about four or five notes that actually worked on the piano. <laughs> you know, that was rough. You know, yeah, I can and, and uh, yeah, you know, and sometimes uh, uh, getting the piano tuned 
uh, would be challenging sometimes because they didn't, they didn't look at that as being important enough. Today, that rarely ha- that never happens. Now, that never happens. You know, so there's always a great instrument to play. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, when I travel now, when I travel with the band, they don't have to bring their instruments. You know, that was uh, something that 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 you had to do before. You know, drummer had to bring his drums, the bass player had to bring his bass. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, the 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 venue generally provides or uh, a bass and a and a drum set. You know, and and we provide a rider with the, you know, which tells what kind of drums we need and and uh, uh, what kind of bass. So so it's it's things have improved a lot in that sense too. You know, I have to say, it's it is. It's really refreshing to hear somebody, especially uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but somebody your age refer to the jazz scene as being like robust and in good shape. Because kind of the classic story we tell is that you know back in the day when there were all these touring bands and all these clubs, and you know that that it was the golden age, and obviously you know musically a lot of wonderful things did happen, of course. But that it's kind of dwindled over the years, and I don't know that I have agreed with that story, but it's certainly a popular way to think about jazz, and it's really refreshing to hear somebody say, you know what, the jazz is doing well, and <laughs> I feel good about it. It's nice to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's doing well. I mean, it's certainly there are there aren't as many gigs. I mean, when I was with Dizzy, uh, we would have an itinerary. I mean, it would be so long. Uh, and at the time, you would go to a club across the country. You played two or three weeks in each place, you know. So uh, it meant that you were you were out of town for a while. You know, you go to San Francisco, play three weeks at the Jazz Workshop, and you go to L.A., play two or three weeks at the at the Lighthouse. You know, and there were clubs everywhere. You go to San Diego, and there was a club in Seattle called the Penthouse, a great place. You know, so that doesn't exist anymore. That kind of that kind of thing. So, uh, I, I regret that. You know, so a lot of the young people they don't have that kind of experience, so they don't really have that to miss. It never it never <laughs> occurred for them. You know. Yeah, you can't miss what you never had. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's good in some respects and and not so good in others. So there was a lot more work during that time. You know, during that time, during the '60s, you know, there were the clubs that were popping. There were many more clubs, but conditions are better now.
one thing I was thinking about, uh, I'm turning 50 this year, and that's definitely inspiring some, you know, stock taking of the journey so far and, and what the journey going ahead might look like. And you're turning 80 this year, and I'm wondering right. if that's inspiring anything in you to, in terms of assessing or planning or anything else. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly don't want to stop, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, one of the things I, I, I actually did in February, it's something I've been wanting to do, and uh, uh, I was finally able to hook it up through my manager. I've always wanted to play with strings, you know. So at, at Berkeley up in uh, Boston, I did a concert uh, with a, a trio with a, uh, a, st- a string orchestra. And it was in the, uh, this guy, of uh, Eric Gould is his name. He did a lot of, um, I, I gave, gave him about uh, 10 of my songs. And he did these beautiful uh, uh, string arrangements, just strings. And it was really nice to, to hear that behind you when you're playing, you know. Oh, I can only imagine. So, it must be magical. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, I think I'm doing one of those concerts in Spain. So, uh, so I'd like to do more of that, you know. What attracted so you to playing with strings? Well, I mean, I just I just like the sound of it. The sound, and especially I love the sound of cello. For instance, I love to do uh, uh, some duets with cello and piano. You know, I've written a couple of pieces. You know, that I think I'm going to do uh, uh, just duets. You know, for for cello and piano. I mean, I did the thing with, with Gina Carter. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to do more of that kind of stuff, more collaborations, collaborations, you know. So uh, just different stuff. I'm doing a concert in February with, I don't know if you know, Jen Shu. Oh, yeah. Jen's been on this show. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing a thing uh, with her, and uh, this is total free improvisations, to whatever happens at the new school. Oh, that's wonderful. With, uh, uh, yeah, with a, a trombonist. Yeah, this is all young people. A trombonist, I forget her name now. Um, I just, I just actually met her uh, when I was at the Vanguard, and a, uh, a drummer named Leslie Mock. And I think Jen is going to play because uh, we've been talking about doing stuff for for a while now, you know. But she plays all kinds of uh, Asian instruments, string instruments. So that I think it'll be very unique. So I want to do stuff like that. I don't mean this to sound. Any way other than complimentary, but you still sound very inspired. Oh, oh, I am. <laughs> I am. I am. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, a lot of stuff to do. All right. Well, as, as Ryan Carter always says, I, I still have a few more courses I want to play. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, my guest is Kenny Barron. His new album is called The Source. It's an album of solo piano music, and uh, it is now now for you to enjoy on Artwork Records. Kenny, it's been such a joy and an honor to talk to you. I really thank you for taking the time to do it. Oh, my pleasure. Believe me. Thanks so much to my guest, Kenny Barron. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can send me an email at jason at thejazzsession.com for more info about Sarah and her design work. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. 
Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now, if you would, to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps me reach new listeners. And if you'd like to keep up to date on this and my other podcast, A Brief Chat, plus my poetry and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, become a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.